Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn, so that in today's accelerated world, we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week, I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. The National Museum of Mathematics, or MoMath for short, is a magical place in Manhattan, New York, where you can experience mathematics. This is the only museum in North America dedicated to math, and it is an immersive experience like no other. With colorful hands-on exhibits, unique learning technologies, interactive games and artwork, this is a place where children and adults alike are inspired to think and learn about mathematics. I had the pleasure of experiencing MoMath a few weeks ago when the CEO gave me a tour. In this episode, I speak with her about how MoMath enables learning and how she helped to found this unique place. Cindy Lawrence is the Executive Director and CEO of the National Museum of Mathematics in New York City. As an accountant, her education and career has been rooted in math. She worked at PricewaterhouseCooper as an auditor and later moved to Newsday as a senior accountant in the newspaper's budget and financial management group. After becoming a mother, Cindy decided to move towards education by joining Becker Professional Education, working in various capacities at the organization's CPA exam review program. She taught students all over the globe and was named one of four national editors for the program. In 2009, a friend approached Cindy with an idea to open a mathematics museum. This was the start of an exciting, life-changing project that has created incredible impact. Hello, Cindy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. It was so wonderful to meet you and have you give that wonderful tour at MoMath back in June. I really, really enjoyed it. So I'm so glad that you're on the podcast to discuss this brilliant space and experience. Well, one of the joys of my job is being able to share something that I find beautiful and exciting and wonderful with people who come in, many of whom aren't expecting to have that kind of an experience with something called mathematics. Often they have very fixed ideas of what math is, and then they have this anxiety about math. We often hear people saying, I'm not a math person, which is definitely one of those pet peeves that I have. But the experience of going to MoMath is a very, very unique experience. I had a little bit of an idea reading about it. And of course, thinking about a museum for mathematics, what could that possibly be? But blew my expectations out of the water. It was such an interesting, and as you said, beautiful, immersive exciting and very much piquing your curiosity experience. What you said when you were giving me that tour was that the museum is designed in a way almost as if you were collecting odd collectibles from around the world and coming back from your exotic travels. And when you said that, I thought, oh my gosh, that's exactly what it looks and feels like which I thought was very, very interesting for a museum in math. Well, certainly the credit goes for that to our designer, Tim Nissen, who's our associate director as well. It was his sort of design conceit because what he didn't want to do was make a museum that looked like what people think of when they hear the word math. Because our goal is to show people the depth, the breadth, and the beauty of math, almost as an aesthetic pursuit, as something you go to to have a cultural experience, to have an enjoyable experience. 
And people confuse the word math, I think, with the word arithmetic. We all think of math and we think about our primary school experience, learning how to add, to subtract, to multiply and divide. And later on, we might have learned about negative numbers and fractions. And some of us might have gone as far as algebra or geometry or trigonometry or even calculus. And those memories are not always favorable for all people. But even when they are, that's a very narrow view of mathematics. Whereas math encompasses so much more than that. It really is an artistic and aesthetic endeavor. And I will say I maybe was the first member of our target audience. I'm not a mathematician, although I always liked math and did well in math. And when I got involved with this project, I fell in love with math in a whole new way and as a different pursuit than what I thought it was. And so it's really my honor to try and share that experience that I had in joining this group of people that wanted to create this space and trying to share a little bit of that experience with everyone who comes in. That's amazing. I think is a really valuable experience for adults, regardless if they are passionate and their career is in math, or maybe they're anxious about math, but it is really for everyone. I think accounting and finance are pretty closely aligned with what most people think about in terms of math. Accounting, we're adding, we're subtracting, do things balance, do they equal, or finance, maybe we're looking at interest rates and trying to value something using an actuarial table or a mortgage table. And so that's pretty closely aligned with arithmetic and what we all think about as math. I wouldn't have guessed the relationships between math and music, between math and art, between math and the performing arts. I might've thought about the arithmetic that goes into those things, but I wouldn't have thought about math as an aesthetic endeavor on its own. And really when you come to the museum, that's what we're trying to share. We're trying to have you, first of all, get personally engaged and involved. So there aren't signs in our museum. You don't come and read about old mathematicians that discovered calculus or anything like that. Instead, you you play with an exhibit where you're trying to build the fastest roller coaster. And then if you want, you can touch a screen and read about how that exhibit is based on a problem originally posed by Galileo that he never solved in his lifetime. And it actually took the discovery of calculus to solve that problem. You don't need to read that though. You're just playing with a roller coaster and you can change the shape of the track and see whether you get the car down faster with this shape track or that shape track. Right. And so there's a lot of levels on which you can just enjoy the museum, or you can enjoy it and read a little more. You can enjoy it and talk to our wonderful staff who will give you even more insights. So we hope that no matter what level people are coming into the museum in terms of their math background, and also no matter whether they loved math, hated math, were indifferent to math, we are really trying to be an experience that speaks to everyone at whatever place they are in their math journey. Mm, absolutely. And so can you describe a little bit as we're, you know, there's pictures on the website and in, in the show notes as well, but describe a little bit about what someone can expect as an experience. You definitely said it's an experience of math, not reading about math, and there's all sorts of different uh, ways of doing that. But can you just give us a little bit of a visual? So everything we have we hope is inviting. So you come and maybe our most well-known exhibit is a square wheeled tricycle. Mm -hmm. It was very fun. And you just want to, first of all, you're surprised that something with square wheels can actually be ridden, can move around. 
And we can talk about how there's math underlying that exhibit and what makes it work, but you just want to hop on it and try it. And you want to take a picture of yourself and you want to send it to your friends and family and say, look, I'm riding a bicycle with square wheels. Isn't that fun? Or you can come and paint with symmetry. You take a paintbrush, you dip it into what look like cans of paint. You choose your color, you dip into whatever color you want. There's a giant easel, like very large, and you, you run your paintbrush across the easel and the screen fills with the color that you're using, but also with a certain kind of a pattern, a certain kind of a symmetry, which you've also selected. And no matter what you do, even one stroke, it suddenly looks beautiful because the human brain appreciates symmetry. Yes. You can change the symmetry pattern. You can change the color. People spend hours creating beautiful, marvelous works of art mm -hmm. and they're using math. I like to say they're painting with mathematics. That's not something you've ever experienced probably in a school setting. And, and most people, when they think about math, harken back to their school days and the math classes that they took. And it's interesting because when you go to visit an art museum, you don't usually think back to your careers as a student in an art class. We yes. all took art in the early grades and we maybe learned how to paint or draw, or maybe we made some things out of clay and sculpture. But when you go to an art museum, you expect to be wowed by things you see. You expect to have an emotional experience, to see something that is just beautiful and to feel enriched when you leave but you're not looking really to connect it with your grade school stick figure drawings. And you don't mm -hmm. expect to come away being an artist. And I think when people hear math and math museum, they have the mistaken impression that maybe we're a place where you come and we'll, we'll teach you a better way to do long division. <laughs> but what we're really trying to do is be like that art museum. We're trying to give you a beautiful experience where you can connect with mathematics. You can play with mathematics. You can, sit on, ride, move around mathematics and come away saying, I had a great day. That was fun. And wow, math, there's more to math than I used to think. And mm. that's our goal. That's our, that's our primary goal. It's absolutely fantastic. And it really is for everyone. When we built the museum, we really built it for adults and kids down to maybe fifth grade or so. Okay. We did not expect to have very small kids. I, I guess we did expect elementary school, maybe a little younger than fifth grade, but we certainly didn't expect toddlers mm -hmm. and didn't build it for toddlers. And yet there are a lot of exhibits and people start coming and I've come to realize, and now I tell young families, when your child is 18 months old, that's the right time to start bringing your child to MoMath. Mm -hmm. And what's great is there are experiences that an 18 month old will absolutely love and they will take away the idea that they go to a place that has math in the name, Mo Math, and that math is something fun, something they like. And that's all I want for an 18 month old. But our target audience is much more about older, older kids and adults and our programs that we run that are, are in addition to the exhibits we have are very much targeted toward adults. And I think again, at all levels, whether you had an uncomfortable relationship with math or whether you loved math, I think you'll find something that you can connect with and hopefully something that you can enjoy. So to think about the, the way that you designed the learning experience and the way that you're hoping people will learn, uh, you said that it's through experiencing something that uh, mesmerizes and inspires you and wows you and it's beautiful. And then you question a little bit about 
how is this possible? But can you talk a little bit more about the learning design and the background of how you are hoping that people can learn a bit more about math? So our goal is always for every exhibit to have real mathematics underlying that exhibit. And when I say real mathematics, we also welcome many PhD mathematicians who come to our space and maybe are expecting that it will be beneath them in some way. And I can't tell you the number of times I've seen a math PhD with their mouth agape, like a kid in a candy shop saying, oh my gosh, I never knew that. And so there are things in the museum that even a very accomplished mathematician will find surprising and delightful. But really, I think people, people, when you're out of school, when you're an adult and you're not having to learn something for that next test or from that for that next promotion, you spend time looking at things and reading about things that interest you. So the first thing is to get somebody engaged. So somebody is, for example, painting with mathematical symmetries, and they might notice there's a limited number of symmetries they can choose from before they start painting. And they might wonder why, why only those? And if they do just a little bit of reading right there in the museum, if they're interested, they'll find out there actually are only 17 ways that you can tile something. And that's surprising, why 17? And so, but people have to be engaged first. You ride a square wheel tricycle, you wanna get a picture, you wanna share it, it looks fun, but how does it work? What shape is the track that worked with that rolling square? If you're engaged and interested, you might actually wanna learn a little bit more. And so everything that we have in the museum, we hope will inspire interest and that people will want to learn more. But we, we're not teaching to a test. We're not trying to, you know, we, we don't tell teachers, bring your students to MoMath and they'll all get a higher grade on the next test you give. Mm -hmm. But what we have found and what we can attest to is your students will still be talking about this experience months later. And where you want to connect something they saw in the museum to something that you're now doing, maybe down the road from your visit, you suddenly are teaching about diameter. We can talk about the diameter of the square wheel trike track. We can talk about why the wheels are different sizes if they're closer to the center or further away. There's another exhibit in the museum called Coaster Rollers where you literally sit on a sled and slide over these objects that look kind of like weirdly shaped acorns. You can talk about diameter with respect to those. The fact that you can ride that sled and not bounce up and down or lean from side to side is because those shapes have something called a constant diameter. That, that is, however you roll them, the height doesn't change. And that's surprising to people. And I think also the element of surprise captures people's attention. You'll remember something if you're surprised by it. Why do people talk about the square wheel trike so much? because it's surprising. We've all seen wheels our whole lives, yes. bicycles, motorcycles, scooters, everything has round wheels. So when you suddenly see something that has a square wheel and it's rolling, it doesn't make sense to you and right. it's fun and it's surprising. So we try to really incorporate hands-on, full body surprise. Learning theorists have shown that these things help people learn, but it's not as simple as we're gonna teach you how to do a math problem differently or better so you can score higher on your test. It's much more about changing attitudes as a basis for really engaged learning. If somebody Absolutely. is not interested, they can memorize the algorithm to solve a math problem for a test. And I guarantee you a year later, they will not remember it. 
So the trick is to get them really interested and engaged because then they remember. And that's what learning is all about. It's taking away some new knowledge that you didn't have before. Absolutely. And I loved the way that everything is connected in the physical world, visually, then you have to think about it. And of course, everything is interwoven with mathematical principles and really engages you to learn. And I also really love the space in the sense that it's floor to ceiling covered in meaning and mathematics. I mean, from the tiling on the floor to the sinks in the bathroom, everything is mathematical, which I th- I thought was really fun and such a unique way of filling the space. We very much wanted the space to have things you could notice that are mathematical, but you might not notice. We call it the hidden math of MoMath. And so it's kind of a treat as you're going through the museum and you suddenly see a tile wall that looks like an abstract pattern in the bathroom. And suddenly you realize you're reading a message in that wall. You're reading letters and it says something. Mm. And that's just fun. Nobody assigned this as an exhibit. Nobody put you know, a sign pointing to it. It's just something you notice. Or you look down at the floor on the lower level and you suddenly notice There are a lot of squares down there, but none of them are the same size. Mm. And so there's just sort of a lot of even the bathroom sinks, as you mentioned, which um, start out as pentagons, five-sided figure, and go down to the base to be triangles. Mm -hmm. And you've probably never seen a sink like that anywhere because we custom designed that sink just to have a little bit of a mathematical environment wherever you go. So that was certainly deliberate, and I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yes, I can imagine that if people go again and again, they discover something different in you every time. You were so passionate about all the different aspects of the museum. But is there something that really sticks out to you as as your favorite activity or favorite aspect? In terms of the exhibits, I would say I do have a favorite. You're not supposed to have a favorite among your children. And the exhibits do feel like children of mine, but um, no no malignment meant to my own children, but, <laughs> but they do feel like something that I was involved with creating. And so maybe I shouldn't have favorites, but I do have one favorite. And it's an exhibit called String Product. Without going into too much detail, what I will say is it's a giant exhibit that a spiral staircase wraps around and you play with it at the top of the stairs or at the bottom. Why I love that exhibit is that it appeals to a very broad range of people. So this is an exhibit, as I mentioned before, where math PhDs might come in and say, wow, I never knew that. And they can quickly understand what's going on, but they're surprised because it's not something they'd ever thought about before. And then we get high school students and middle school students who can look at that exhibit and wonder why it does what it does. But with the math they've learned in school, they can figure out why it works. They can do what's called a proof and prove that it has to work the way mm-hmm. it works. And so that's kind of a nice thing that a student can do. It also involves multiplication. So for kids that are not yet in late middle school or high school, they view it as a multiplication exhibit and it's reinforcing the multiplication tables that they've been learning. And for a younger child who doesn't even know about multiplication tables, there are buttons you press and it makes lights come on that span the staircase in an interesting and very colorful way. And so I love that it appeals to a three-year-old as much as a math PhD and everyone in between. It's also a really great example of how something that could have been a sort of um, plain math exhibit on the wall, literally plain P-L-A-N-E as well as P-L-A-I-N, so not that interesting and just on the flat wall. But instead, with the skill of a wonderful designer, 
that became a sculptural piece of art. And so you're literally walking around this exhibit and it's beautiful to behold. And so not only does this exhibit appeal to multiple ages, multiple backgrounds, it's also beautiful. So it appeals to everyone's sense of aesthetics and it's just a, a wonderful addition to the museum. So that is definitely my favorite exhibit. In terms of programs, we run a lot of evening programs and I can't say I have one particular that is my favorite, but I love anytime we have an audience in the room and I hear a gasp Hmm. where somebody shows something or does something and people are so blown away by the beauty of what they just saw or the surprise of it, that there's sort of an audible reaction in the, in the room. Yes. When that happens, I just, or, or walking around the museum, I hear all the time, three words, that's so cool. And it's that reaction from people who came in, whether at a program or as they're wandering through the museum with the exhibits, that's what gives me the adrenaline to drive on and to keep going and doing and building because it's all about a human experience. And when I can share something beautiful with other people, that gives meaning and purpose to my role at MoMath. Absolutely. In terms of an educational perspective, I love the fact it expands something, a topic and a subject that you can be learning. When we talk about learning, I think it's clear that different people learn in different ways. Mm -hmm. Some people have no problem learning from a textbook. Other people, that doesn't work well, but they're auditory learners. They want to hear something. Other people are very visual. They want to see something or they're kinetic. They want to touch something. And so I think what's important about MoMath is that you can learn in all of those different ways, but it's certainly beyond learning from a textbook. And another exhibit that I really love is one called The Wall of Fire. And here you can take a three-dimensional object in your hands and hold it into a wall of laser light. The wall is invisible until Mm -hmm. you hold the object in it. And like magic, suddenly what lights up is what I'll call a slice of, Mm -hmm. of what you're holding. And to explain this in simple terms, if we had a cube, maybe a cube of cheese, and you cut it, you'd get square pieces of cheese. And we all kind of understand that when you cut a cube, you're you're kind of slicing off little square, even a cake. When you cut a cake, you kind of get like a loaf cake, you get square pieces. But what if you cut that cube at a different angle? Mm-hmm. What other shapes can you find? Right. Can you ever cut that cube and find a circle? Can you find a triangle? Can you find something with six sides, a hexagon? Mm-hmm. You might not know the answers to any of those, but you can hold this cube in this wall of laser light and you can find the different shapes. And not all of them that I mentioned, you will find because some of them are possible. Some of them are not. One of them is quite surprising that you can find. But the point is, it's very hard to draw in a textbook a slice of a cube that goes at an angle that's not straight up and down as you're bringing the knife down. And then trying to imagine in your mind If I took a knife and I cut a cube of cheese at a particular angle, what shape is kind of on the inside when I pull the two pieces apart? That's just hard to show in a textbook. It's hard to visualize for many people, for most people. It's hard to draw that in a textbook. But when you have something three-dimensional in front of you and you see this red slice light up, it becomes very obvious. And so there are things I think that we can teach that are just hard to teach in any other way. 
Yes, absolutely. You said that you've been involved from the very beginning. And this idea for MoMath really started when a friend of yours came to you with this idea. So you you have been there from the very start. Can you tell me the story about how you got involved, how MoMath developed? Absolutely. So there was a mathematician who lived not far from me. Our children were friends. And one day he was picking up his daughter and he mentioned to me that he was going to start a museum of math. There had been a small museum of math about an hour away from where we both lived. And he mentioned to me that that museum had shut down. They'd run out of money. They'd gotten rid of all their exhibits and he couldn't find anyone who had been involved in that museum. He'd been looking, but it was almost like it had vanished. And I had been to that museum and remembered talking to someone there and furthermore remembered the person I spoke to And I turned out in one of those odd situations to have a friend in common. So I was able to go to that friend in common and trace my way back to someone who had worked on the floor of that. And I'll call it a museum, but it was it was a museum, but it was so small. You had to make an appointment and you had to agree that you would bring at least 10 people to see it. So it wasn't it wasn't a museum that was open every day where people would come. It was sort of a, a by appointment, two classrooms with really cool stuff inside. So I was able to make that initial connection. And I think for no other reason than that, as a courtesy, I was invited to the first meeting where this friend of mine, whose name was Glenn Whitney, he's a mathematician, convened a meeting of everyone he could find through the contact I made that had been involved with this math museum to sort of pick their brains and see if anyone wanted to help him. And I think it was just a courtesy that I got invited and I just found the whole thing exciting. And so I kept going to those meetings and we formed a working group of volunteers and I was a volunteer for many, many years, really. And I was still at the same time working as a CPA in my prior job. Mm -hmm. It was becoming harder to, to do what I needed to do in my day job because I was also volunteering more and more and spending more and more time. And ultimately I was hired to um, and decided to take the job and and leave my former job, which was a bit of a leap of faith because in New York City, many museums either don't open when they plan to or never open or shut down a year after they open. And so going from a pretty stable job that I really liked and I had been at at that point for about 18 years Mm -hmm. to just kind of throw that away and, and jump into the deep end with a bunch of people who I really thought could do this but there's always that risk. And I'm not a particularly risk-taking person by nature. So it is a little bit surprising even to me that I did this, but I think that speaks to how much fun I was having and how passionate I was about what we were trying to do. And I really was audience member number one, because I was working with Glenn and with another mathematician, an amazing mathematical sculptor, in fact, named George Hart. And the two of them were so gentle and so patient in explaining all kinds of math. They would have ideas for exhibits Hmm. and Tim, our designer would draw pictures. And very often I wouldn't understand the math behind the exhibit. And I would have to ask a lot of questions and they were the most patient of teachers. And when that light bulb would come on for me, the feeling of happiness and joy and excitement over, oh, now I get it. And wow, that's really cool it was kind of like a drug. And I wanted to share that drug with other people. I wanted to share that euphoric feeling. And and that's the feeling that mathematicians describe when they talk about 
math research, which by the way is something I never knew existed. I didn't know we needed math research. I thought math was discovered already by the ancient Greeks and Romans right. and people in India. And mathematicians will tell you that they struggle. They make a lot of mistakes. The day-to-day -day is not always fun because they're trying and trying to figure something out. But the moment when the light comes on and they see a connection that they didn't see before and they solve maybe an outstanding problem that nobody had solved before, it's that feeling. It's it's. I can describe it as almost like when you solve a puzzle. Mm -hmm. If you're given sort of a, a physical puzzle, think about a Rubik's cube, for example, yes. or something physical in your hands, you're trying to get a piece on or take a piece off or manipulate the colors to all match as in the Rubik's cube. And it seems impossible and you're trying and you're trying and all of a sudden you have an insight and you make a few moves and you've done it. Mm -hmm. There's that, that very human feeling of happiness that I did it. Yes. I saw something and I, I did something. And that's what mathematicians describe. And to some extent, that's what we're trying to convey in the museum. We're trying to share that. And so I was the first person in our world that I think was, was being able to experience that excitement around math. And I was someone who liked math, but I had never seen a wall of laser light that you could put an object into. I had never seen the way you could paint with 17 different symmetry groups. I certainly had never seen a square wheel tricycle. Right. Absolutely. I People definitely have an experience of wonder when they come into the museum. But I like what you said that through those discussions with the mathematicians, they describe the struggle and the hardship and then this amazing euphoric feeling of discovery. I think those two extreme feelings are so much a part of mathematics, and yet they are so rarely talked about, especially in schools. It's seen as a very rudimentary process where you're neither taught to understand the struggle, that it is a natural part of it, nor do you necessarily experience that wonderful, exhilarating feeling of discovering something. When we have students come on field trips with their schools and their teachers to the museum, in addition to having the fun of exploring mm -hmm. the exhibits, we do also offer a session in a classroom with an educator who is not going to teach them school math that they're learning in their classrooms, but is hopefully going to give them an experience where they think about things, they try, they explore, and they end up with that happy euphoric feeling of having discovered something new or had fun with something. Wonderful. And that's, it's really important. And, you know, it's interesting. Nobody expects that as a child, if they want to play the piano or the violin or some other musical instrument, nobody expects it to be easy. Mm -hmm. They expect to probably need a teacher to guide them and they expect to have to practice and they expect that it's going to be hard. They don't think I'll start taking piano lessons and then I'll play in orchestra yes. in two weeks. They understand that this is this takes time and this takes effort. And similarly with sports, nobody expects a six-year-old to be able to sink a basket, a regulation-sized basketball court. But with time and effort over years and lots of practice, that six-year-old learns and grows and develops into someone who maybe is very good at mm -hmm. making baskets. But for some reason with math, we have this mistaken assumption that if in elementary school, it doesn't come easily to you mm -hmm. and you don't just see the right answer, that maybe you're not a math person. Maybe you're not good in math. I really don't believe that to be the case. I think it's just like music. It's just like athletics. It's just like art. If you want to do it 
and you're willing to put in the time and have a productive struggle. I'm not saying it will be easy. Mm -hmm. Yes. For some people, it does come more easily than others. I will grant you that just like some kids are more physically coordinated and will have an easier time playing a sport and other kids have to do a little more practice to get up to that level. Just like some kids might have a natural artistic talent and they can sketch things that look good from a very young age. Someone else takes an art class and learns about perspective and learns to paint as well, or maybe even better if they stick with it longer. Mm -hmm. It's really important that people understand that there's no such thing as someone who can't do mathematics. There is such a thing as someone who puts time in and improves and gets better and can do anything they want in the world of math. And that's a message that starts with getting somebody interested. Absolutely. So if you go into a classroom and you don't understand negative numbers or dividing fractions or something that just for some reason doesn't make sense to you, sure, you can just memorize how to do it. But if you're not interested, if you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not really going to spend the time to become facile with what you're doing and to get better at it. So our goal is to provide that motivation because anybody can do math but we want to motivate people to want to do math. Yes, very true. I like what you said about productive struggle because everybody celebrates the basketball player who didn't make their high school basketball team and then every morning wakes up at five and really drills and drills and drills until they become a big basketball player. But that's true for everything in life. That's true in a lot of different fields. It's true, and you know, it's also the case that if you're not going to make the NBA you might still love to go out and have a pickup basketball game. Exactly. And so for math, maybe you're not going to be a mathematician, but you still can enjoy coming to a museum and thinking about things and playing with things. And and so math really should be viewed as something that you don't have to be expert in to enjoy. Just like we don't say, don't go to an art museum if you're not an artist. That's right. You don't go to art museums. We love art museums. Exactly. We go because we're not artists. We go to be wowed. We go to a professional basketball game to be wowed by the person who can fling in a shot and, and make the basket from someplace where it seems impossible. Right. So in some sense, we go to to enjoy that expertise. And with math, we just haven't had a place before where you could enjoy the expertise of someone else who came up with the idea of having an invisible wall of laser light that now you can play with, or a means of painting with color and symmetry, or a means of writing something that seems like it should be impossible. So in some sense, it's not so different from going to a professional sporting event or an art museum, but we're just trying to find a way to connect back to everyone. I love that. I love that, that you're going to appreciate and, and experience the expertise. I really, I really like that. And part of it is also artwork. One of the rooms is really an art exhibit that showed these beautiful Escher-like drawings that you see a certain shape when you're very close, and then it creates a completely different picture as you move away and different ways of using mathematics and art as well. So it's a really nice way of bringing everything together. But also you have a lot of different events. Can you tell me a little bit about the type of events that you hold at the museum? So the types of events we hold in the museum share one thing in common, and that is they must be connected to mathematics. That connection can be very loose sometimes. My goal is to always bring events to the public that they will enjoy. That's the goal. People don't remember enjoying a math lecture. 
It's just not, I mean, yes, if you're a mathematician or a math major, you may remember a particular lecture that you did enjoy or, or even many lectures that you enjoy. But for most of us, we don't think about sitting in a math classroom as something we enjoyed. So we try not to do lectures that harken back to a math classroom. There's not usually chalkboards. There's not usually numbers or formulas or asking people to take notes. Instead, we'll bring somebody in who will have 300 people stand up from their tables, push them together and use blue painter's tape to stretch across the tables in a way that seems kind of random until you look at all the tables together and you realize you've just created an Islamic tiling pattern. Interesting. Wow. So that's an event we had. That's right. We had an event called laundry math where we had people playing with pants and shirts. And really it was a lecture about topology, about the shape of things, but using something we're all familiar with. And what does it mean to be inside out? And can you turn things inside out? And all kinds of different fun activities. We've had and have right now in residence, someone who's a professionally trained mime who trained with Marcel Marceau. And he gives all kinds of programs where he's teaching people about mime or he's doing a mime performance that's just enriching. We've had a whole math and music series where every month we brought a different person who in some way connected with both math and music and talked about everything from what's inside your ear and the auditory uh, method by which we hear sound to the rhythms, um, Latin percussion. I mean, all kinds of different ways to connect music and mathematics. But for me, it's really about thinking back to the person I was before I got involved with this museum. And would that person who was not particularly well-schooled in mathematics, but did like it, would that person enjoy this program? I went to watch the eclipse a number of years ago in Oregon, where the sighting was supposed to be good. And I went to a local high school and heard a talk by an amazing astronomer who told us what to look for the next morning when the eclipse would happen. He was so wonderful with how he interacted with the audience and the families in the audience that I went right up to him at the end of that talk. And I said, I work at the National Museum of Mathematics in New York City. Is there anything you could tie about what you do to math? Because if so, I think you're a great presenter. Would you come to MoMath? And a few months later, there he was at MoMath, um, entertaining and delighting and enlightening our audience. So I'm just always on the hunt for somebody who's got a story to tell, something that I think will resonate with people, that they'll enjoy, but that has a mathematical underpinning or connection. Maybe one of the best programs we did during the pandemic, I found a bird photographer in Seattle who also studies biomechanics, so has a STEM background, was a professor of biomechanics, mm -hmm. but as a hobby was taking the most incredible bird photographs. Mm -hmm. And so he came or on Zoom during the pandemic and did a program that was filled with absolutely stunning pictures of birds and then a discussion of the biomechanics and the math that go into how birds fly. Amazing. I love it. So it's oh, really, it's a very eclectic mix. The, the only underlying common thread is, will people enjoy it? And I hope they will. Absolutely. It's a fantastic place. And and your passion and love for it is really, really obvious in the museum. And uh, and I love the fact that you really embody that you want the museum to feel like you've traveled the world and brought back interesting uh, unique items, but that's exactly what you're doing. You're as you're traveling and you see interesting and unique people and 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 concepts. You're bringing them back to the museum as well. 
that I never thought of it as being true for our programs, but you're right. That's exactly what I feel like I'm doing. And literally it is traveling the world everywhere I go, whether I'm traveling on business or traveling for a vacation, my eyes are always open. And if I see something that looks interesting or cool or fun, and I can tie it to mathematics, I'm going to try and bring it back to our audience. That's wonderful. And one of the uh, requests and an occurrence that happened at the museum is an engagement. So you get some all very different types of types of events coming through. Can you tell me about how how that came about for someone to get engaged? So let me first say we were named on some list in New York City as one of the best places to take a date. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Math related or not, it was it was yes. not a list in a math journal. It was in, out in the public list. I can see so, that. That would be a wonderful place. Yes. I, I, I think so. Yeah. And so twice now, to my knowledge, and maybe there was a third one that I, I wasn't as involved with, and probably there were more that none of us know about, but twice that I was involved with, we had somebody ask if they could propose in the museum to their <laughs> boyfriend, girlfriend, and we certainly helped make it special for them. We have a giant electronic floor, which can be programmed with other graphics. So I remember the very first one, which was not too long after we opened, was a beautiful image of the Brooklyn Bridge with bubbles floating around it. And it said, will you marry me, Elena? Oh. And at some point during that morning, um, the couple arrived, she unsuspecting, he not only having planned this, but with both of their families hidden away in one of our classrooms, ready to come out and congratulate them, should she say yes, which she did, thankfully. <laughs> and when the graphic came up, we piped their song over our audio system. So as she was coming down the stairs, suddenly there was music and it was their music. And mm -hmm. suddenly the first thing you see when you come down the stairs is this giant electronic floor with this graphic. And then he runs and gets down on his knee and has the ring. And all of a sudden, a lot of the visitors, especially the younger uh, middle school kid age visitors, all had their cell phones out because <laughs> they saw what was going on. And that was, it's just exciting and beautiful. And the family came out and it was just so nice to be That's part really of nice. that. Amazing. Absolutely magical. Yeah. We've certainly hosted also birthday parties for kids, but also I think we had a 60th birthday party that might have been the oldest birthday party we had. We also have had retirement parties. We've had bar mitzvahs. So yeah, and it's a fun place to bring people. So if you host a party at the museum, one thing I can guarantee is that your guests will have a great time, no matter how old they are, no matter what their connection is with mathematics. So we love to do that. But certainly an engagement was was quite meaningful and special for all of us that we created a space that someone thought worthy of of asking such an important question to someone who was so special to them. That's fantastic. So beautiful. So many complex memories that you have of creating and then running this beautiful museum. Is there something in the whole process that stands out as a, I mean, so many favorite memories I can imagine, but a memory that really strikes you in how you developed and then in the running of the museum as you look back on the years is there something that really stands out to you you know there's so many things that stand out but i think the opening the opening day and opening night is very meaningful and and also memorable and the reason i say that is because there was a giant hurricane that hit the new york city area in october of 2012 we were scheduled to open on december 12th 12 12 12 uh, okay. not accidental. We, we chose right. that date. 
And we expected to actually open sort of a pre-opening during November and have people try the exhibits and make sure everything was working. What ended up happening was the hurricane was so drastic that the city was more or less shut down. Hmm. And the building department, we were waiting for our final approvals to be able to open a, a public space. They stopped doing those approvals for museums because they were busy looking at buildings to see if they were structurally sound after this hurricane. Oh, so they canceled our final appointments with no, no rescheduling possible. It wasn't like we can't come this week. We'll come in two weeks. It was like, we're not scheduling anything right now. We're in crisis mode. Oh. We were not allowed to enter our museum space, which was under construction because nobody knew what was safe, what wasn't mm-hmm. safe. And so we were incredibly delayed. And what ended up happening was on the day we opened there were brand new exhibits finally coming into the museum that morning. These exhibits, some of them had been sitting on trucks that had come from across the country and were not allowed to enter Manhattan. And so there were things being installed as we were preparing for 400 people to come Mm. to the opening that night. And it was just a very, um, a very crazy day and, and lots of unexpected things. So one week before the opening, I was in the city and I thought, I'm just going to wander by and imagine what's going to be happening here next week at this time. And we were hosting a dinner across the street from our back entrance. And the plan was to have this black tie dinner and then have everybody walk across the street and enter the museum. And what I saw the week before when I went there was that I hadn't realized that is garbage day on that street. And so the piles of black garbage bags lining the entire street. Nobody could have crossed the street to come in. And because it was December, I didn't want to make people walk from mid block around the block to come in the other entrance. So I hired carters to clear the garbage on that street that that morning. So that was one, like you you can't predict these kinds of things. And then that morning I was told that we had applied for temporary permits. We couldn't get our permanent permits, but we had a temporary permit and somehow um, somebody had forgotten to include our main staircase in the permit. So we weren't going to be allowed to have anyone on the staircase. And that's the staircase that houses my favorite exhibit string product that I spoke to you about. So we started having conversations about, well, what would happen if people did go on that staircase? Because how do we keep our main staircase closed? And the answer was, you really, really can't without building department. So we were prepared to open without our main staircase. And at about four o'clock that day, when the mail arrived, a different permit that covered the staircase unexpectedly arrived. So, um, and then the last thing that happened that was very stressful that day was that morning, I got a call from the manufacturer of the square wheel tricycle who said, hey, really sorry, I know we're supposed to deliver today, but we're not gonna make it today, we'll bring it next week. And I said, that's the centerpiece of the museum. We have 400 people in black tie coming and that's the centerpiece. And also I have visited this exhibit in your shop like two weeks ago, it was working fine. Why, what what, what could possibly prevent you? It's only eight o'clock, nine o'clock in the morning. What's preventing you? from putting that exhibit on a truck and driving from Philadelphia to New York. Like, I can't imagine what could be stopping you. And he said, I'm really sorry, but through some oversight, we forgot to paint the tricycles. So they're just raw metal. And I said, that's all? I said, we'll have them raw metal. Thank you very much. And so they brought them and they were the centerpiece of the event that night. But it was was all, so that really, 
lives in my mind as like all this stress, picking up garbage, staircases without approval, exhibits not arriving, other exhibits that hadn't ever been tried that were just being installed. And then we got to the moment where everybody was gathered and we had a giant light switch that really didn't control anything, but was for effect. And we stood there in the half dark with 400 people who had never seen a museum of math before. And the three of us who were most involved, uh, Glenn, whose idea it was, and Tim, who's the designer, and I put our hands on the switch, lifted the switch, all the museums roared to life, the lights came up, and the museum was open. I'll never forget that moment. Unbelievable. That's quite the story. That is definitely a story of perseverance and unexpected whirlwind and the beauty that comes at the end of that. That's really fantastic. Very memorable. Absolutely. Very memorable. Yes. And you've had many years of incredible success and it's, it's such a pleasure to have visited. So what do you look forward to now? What are you excited about in the future? So we are expanding and we hope um, in not too much more time to be in bigger space and have new exhibits added to our old favorites. It's funny when we walked through the museum and we talked about which exhibits should come with us and maybe which exhibits it's time to retire, the vast preponderance of them will be coming with us because people love them. And so we'll take what we already have and we'll build on that. Some exhibits will be more along the lines of what we've talked about, just we visited another place, another space, another time, another world of math and brought something new back from that world. But we're also gonna add some different things. So we don't have a big focus on history and that's one thing our visitors have expressed interest in. So we wanna have a gallery that's devoted to some historical moments and people in the history of mathematics mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit more about the applications of math. So we don't talk a lot about the math of what puts an airplane in the sky mm -hmm. or the math of an electric self-driving car, or even now the math of artificial intelligence. So we hope to bring a little bit more of that into the new space. We certainly hope to have more classrooms. There are times of the year where we don't have enough space. Mm -hmm. We turn schools away or next week we have three different groups visiting for programs and it's a, it has been a logistical puzzle to figure out who's in which room when to make sure that everything will work. So we're looking forward to having a little bit more space. Wonderful. That's really exciting and constantly building and, and growing, which is, which is wonderful. And if anybody's in New York, I highly recommend to go and visit you. And of course, your website as well. You have all the resources and the links in the show notes to visit and, and to see your resources online. So, and a great YouTube channel as well with a lot of your lectures and a lot of that you host. Is there anything else, any other ways that people can connect with you? They're interested to find out more. I think our website really holds all the links and you can check out events at events.momath.org. So if you're not in the New York City vicinity, you can still join us for many events. If you are traveling to New York, there's nothing like the immersive, exciting, hopefully beautiful experience you'll have. And so I would encourage you to come visit us in person. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Cindy, for the wonderful tour. And it was such a pleasure meeting you. And thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been really a pleasure to walk down memory lane with you. Thank you. Thank you.